If you have your Bible, open it, please, to the book of Acts, chapter number one. Acts chapter number one, we're going to just be looking at one primary verse today. We're thinking about how to share the gospel with another person. Now, that word gospel is a Bible word. It literally means the good news. In the, in the Greek language, the word is euangelion. Say that with me, euangelion. So now we know a Greek word. We get our word evangelism from that, but it just means the good news. And you can, they translate that the gospel. That's what that means. And so all of us know people in our lives. In fact, I'm curious in this service, how many of you have somebody in your life, somebody you go to school with, somebody you're friends with, work with, neighbor, who doesn't know the Lord and you would like to see that person get saved? Would you just raise your hand? Okay, that's, that's, that's a, nearly everybody raised their hand on that. And yet the thing is, it's not always easy to try to explain to another person how to get saved. We talked last week about planting a seed, creating a God consciousness in somebody's mind. That's a little bit easier. We can be kind to them. We can... God bless you, or, you know, we can say certain things, invite them to church. That's important. We should do that. But today, we're taking it one step farther, and we're thinking about how to actually share the gospel. How can you explain to another person how to be saved? So let's begin with our verse, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, and here's what Jesus said. Now, these are the last words that Jesus spoke before he went back to heaven. He was giving the disciples final instructions. So, Think about the last thing you might say to somebody before you left them. Well, whatever it is, it's the most important thing to you. And so here we have the heart of Jesus in verse 8. He said to them, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. Most translations say, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so Jesus is saying to those disciples, it's your job to tell other people how they can be saved. And yet, if we're honest, we have to say, this is not an easy thing to do. I have to be honest for me. It is not easy, at least it's not always easy, to tell another person how they can be saved. But you know, it's interesting talking about Greek words. We'll just have another Greek word. We'll just overload today on Greek words. I only know two, but I'm showing both of them to you today. In this eighth verse where Jesus said, you shall be my witnesses or you shall be witnesses to me. In the Greek language, the word for witness there is martus, M-A-R-T-U-S. And we get our English word martyr from that word. Think about all the thousands and even millions of Christians through the years who have been martyred, who have been killed because they were sharing their faith in Christ. They were giving a good witness. The apostle Paul, his head was cut off because he was sharing with others how to be saved. Peter crucified upside down because he was sharing with others. He was giving a witness. And so we look at this and say, man, this is not always easy. This is hard. Well, if these people could speak to us today, say, yes, it's hard. It cost me my life down there. And so sharing our faith in Jesus is not always an easy thing to do, but it's the right thing to do, and it's something we need to do. Now, in this message, in your bulletin, if you have your bulletin today, this would be a good one to follow along. We've printed a lot of material in there because I wanted you to have some things you could take with you after the service and kind of review and read over and re-familiarize yourself with. But the first thing I would say today, as we think about sharing with another human being how they 
can be saved, we have to remember this, it has to be the right time to have that conversation with somebody. It has to be at the right time. In other words, when you're driving through the, the drive-through at McDonald's, that's not the right time to tell somebody how to be saved. It's the right time to be kind, to plant a seed, maybe to invite them to church. That's the right time for that. But the gospel itself deserves more than a 30-minute quick explanation, and that person deserves more. And so it has to be the right time. It's interesting, on Friday night, I was speaking in Deer Park at six o'clock at a funeral for one of our members at the funeral home in Deer Park there. And, and I was sitting on the platform, and they were playing music, and this, the chapel was packed. I would say there were 250, maybe more than that, people there. Chapel completely full. The lobby area, people were standing. They couldn't even get in to sit down. And I'm, I'm just mindful of the fact that after this next song, it's my turn to get up and start talking. And it's like God just spoke to me. And I had a thought that, that I've had before, but I've never had this thought quite as strong as what I had on Friday night. It's just like God said to me, John, when you get up there and start talking for the next 20 or 25 minutes, this is your congregation. Now, you're going, to tell, you're going to talk about the lady who died, Christine Reinhardt. You're going to honor her life. You're going to comfort the family. But before you finish, you're going to explain to all these people, most of whom you don't know and have never seen before and may never see again, you're going to explain to them how they can be saved. And I did that. But it's the thought, this is your congregation. So I explained how they could be saved. I gave people an opportunity to pray and be saved. And as I was leading in the prayer at the end, it was kind of like at the singing Christmas tree here in December when we do that. Many of the people were praying out loud, and I could just hear that. And it was, I would say, dozens of people prayed that prayer out loud. And we got finished with that. I sat down for the final song, which was Amazing Grace. It was a CD, beautiful version of Amazing Grace. They started playing the song, and while they were playing it, some of the people in the congregation, most of the people in the congregation, just began to sing that old song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And I thought, now here's a room full of people. Several of them have just been saved. And immediately after they got saved, they're singing Amazing Grace. But the point is, God spoke to my heart and said, for the next few minutes, this is your congregation. Now, this is not First Baptist Pasadena. You'll see those people again the next week, hopefully. But that congregation Friday night, I may never see them again. But you know, I've had that same feeling when it was just one person that I'm talking to. It's like God just speaks to me and says, now, John, this is not church. This is not a sermon, but it's the right time. This is your congregation, and you can just share with them how to be saved. So that's what we want to be looking for. We all raised our hand. We know somebody who needs to be saved. Look for the right time. And maybe even try to create the right time so that you can share how they can be saved. Number two, you have to have the right tone. When you talk to another person about God, you're talking to them about the most personal thing in all their life. And they have many defenses. They're wanting to know, well, who do you think you are to give me a spiritual speech? That's what they're thinking. And they're thinking, well, what, you must think I'm really bad if you're talking to me about having my sins free. So they have all kind of these defenses built up. And what we have to do is have the right tone, humility, kindness, simplicity. You know, we just have to have a, 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 a sweet spirit about us. When I got up Friday night to, and I was explaining how to be saved, I'll tell you what I did not say. I did not say, now I want all of you people in this room to know what big sinners you are. 
Especially you're on the back row there. You're really bad. I can tell by looking at you. No, I didn't say that. Because if I would have said something like that, I would have built up a wall, right? Well, when I'm preaching or when I'm sharing one-on-one, I'm not trying to build walls. I'm trying to build bridges. So here's what I said. I said, you know, everybody in this chapel tonight, we've come from different backgrounds, different homes, maybe even different churches or maybe no church. But we all have one thing in common. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's plan for our life. You have, I have. And so when I say I have, the wall is down. And now I have built a bridge. So we want to be careful that, that, that when we talk to another person about God, that we're humble. That we're not talking to them just in the second person. This is what you need to do. You can use that sometimes. But it's that first person. This is what we need to do. We need to be forgiven because we have sinned. We've messed up. We've blown it. And that's the right tone. And then you'll be able to communicate with them more effectively. What did, how did Peter describe himself? One of the inner three in Jesus' uh, disciples, the inner circle. Jesus, uh, Peter described himself uh, as a sinful man. How did the apostle Paul describe himself in 1 Timothy? He said, Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul said he's the chief sinner. Well, if I went to church, if I was visiting a church and Paul gets up and says, hey, I want everybody to know, not only have you sinned, but I've sinned too. In fact, I'm the chief sinner and God's forgiven me of all my sins. I would join that church because I would say, this man's real. This man's normal. This man's honest. And he's admitting that he too struggles just like I do and that he himself is a sinner. And so I would have a bond with that person. Whereas if somebody's preaching down at me and You know, here I am and down you are. Well, I wouldn't even go back to that church because it's not real. So we want to have the right tone. And then number three, you have to make the right transition. And to me, this is the hardest part of sharing the gospel. Here you are in a conversation. You're at school. You're on the ball field. You're at the lunchroom. You're at at work. You're in the office. You're in the break room. You're at the gym. You're wherever you are. And you're talking about politics you're talking about the weather. Is it ever going to rain? Is this summer ever going to end? You're talking about sports, the Astros, the Texans. You're, you're talking about family. You're talking about all these different things. But in order to share the gospel, at some point, you have to turn the car. You have to, to shift a gear and go in a different direction. And you have to say something about God. Now, to me, This is the hardest part of of, of sharing with somebody how to be saved. How do I go from talking about how incredibly great the stock market's doing to God? I mean, how how do you do that? Well, I'm going to give you some questions today that will help you turn that corner and help you to do that. But I'll tell you how how I normally do it. Now, sometimes I'll ask one of these what I'm calling setup questions. Because a setup question is a question that you ask to turn the conversation towards a spiritual thing. But here's, I don't typically ask either one of these questions. Here's what I would do for what it's worth. I would just normally say, if I'm in a conversation with somebody and I just let the conversation go, let the conversation go where it's going, and maybe they're gonna say something like, well, you know, I'm really having a tough time in our family right now. Our family's going through a hard time. Or maybe they would say something like, you know, I just lost my job and I'm trying to figure out how to make ends meet. Or maybe they would say something like, well, you know, I've got a surgery coming up or my wife has a surgery coming up and really kind of worried about that. And so if, if, if they say anything like that, 
anything in the neighborhood of something like that. Here's what I would normally say. I, because for me, it's honest, it's real, it's my own testimony without getting into the specifics of my testimony. I would say something like this. I would say, you know, I lived for so many years of my life and I didn't have peace. I didn't have the full assurance of my salvation. I didn't know what might happen to me when I died. And there came a point in my life where I got all that settled. And God, I'm just, you know, this is just my story. God has given me a peace that I never thought I would have. He's given me a confidence that when I die, I know I'm going to heaven. And I'll just be honest with you. I just never thought I could have as much peace as what God has given me, even though my life's not perfect either. And I go through things and have been through things, but God has given me a peace in my life that I never thought I would have. Now, when I say something like that to somebody, what have I done? Well, for one thing, I've just opened myself up, right? I have been very vulnerable with that person because I have just shared a weakness in my own life that for many years I didn't have the peace and the assurance that I now have. So I have opened myself up to that person. Here's what I've noticed. If I open myself up to another person, that person's more likely to open themselves up to me. Whereas if I just am always coming at life from a perspective of strength and how I've got it together and here's everything I've learned and how, here's how I've got it figured out, well, that tends to build a wall. But if I say what I just said, God's given me a peace that I used to think I would never have. Man, I've just poured my soul out to that person. And here's what typically a person says back to me. They'll say back, man, I, I know what you mean. I wish I had peace like that. Well, if, when they say that, so for a guy like me, when they say, well, I wish I had peace like that, that just opens the door for me to say, well, if, if you've got just a minute or two, I'd love to share with you how you can have that peace, how God can change your life. Well, so that makes it so easy for me. Now, you say, well, John, I don't know if I want to just open myself up quite that personally and, and say it quite that way. Well, that's okay. I, I still think that's the best way. But I've put these other two questions in here so you can plow down another field. You could just ask a question like this. If the, once the conversation turns spiritual. You see, the thing I like about my approach is I turn the conversation spiritual. So I'm not just sitting back on my heels hoping that the conversation goes spiritual or having to mechanically force a spiritual sentence in there. It's just natural and it's just real. And for me, it is so very easy. I'll say this, for those of you who've been what I went through and doubted your salvation and wondered, am I truly saved? You know, doubting is a bad thing. We shouldn't do it. We should just trust God and not go through that. But I'll say in my own life, there are two positives to all those years of doubt that I went through. Number one, I have an appreciation for my salvation that I don't think I would have had I not been through that. Like, I'm really glad to be saved. Like, I am like, totally thrilled to, to be saved and to know that I'm saved. And the second advantage is it makes it super easy for me in a setting like this or one-on-one -on -one, to talk to another person about God. It makes it easy. It's as easy as pie because I'm just putting myself out there. And, uh, and I like to talk about it anyway. I mean, I, I love to talk about that. So it's not hard at all. But if you say, well, John, I'd rather not get quite that personal. Okay, you can ask a question like this. You can say to this person, let me ask you a question. Now you're trying to make that transition and turn it spiritual. Have you ever made peace with God? Or are you still thinking about doing that? It's a fine question. And you're giving them an out. Are you still thinking about doing that? And they may say to you, well, you know, I'm still thinking about it. Here's another good question. If you died tonight and stood before God and he said to you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say to that? 
That's called the diagnostic question. That came out of Florida, a man named Dr. James Kennedy, evangelism explosion, probably the greatest evangelism thing that's ever been created. And he taught the people in his church, and it went beyond there, ask the diagnostic question. You're trying to diagnose what it is this person is depending on to get them to heaven. If you died tonight and stood before God, and God said to you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? Well, people are going to give either a grace answer or a works answer. Grace answer. They're going to say, well, I'll tell you what I'd say, because I've asked God to forgive me of my sins, and I've asked Jesus to come into my heart, and I'm trusting him with everything I've got. Well, that person's saved. You don't, you don't need to tell them how to be saved. They're already saved. But they may go the other way, and they may give a works answer. And they may say, man, if I died tonight and stood before God, I, I'd probably say, well, you know, God, nobody's perfect. I certainly wasn't perfect either. But I tried to be a good husband. I tried to be a good wife. I tried to be a good father. I tried to be a good mother. I tried to tell the truth. I paid my taxes. I never hurt anybody. I just tried to, and again, God, I know nobody's perfect, but I, I just did the best I could and tried to be good to people. What is that person saying? That person is saying to you that they are trusting themselves to go to heaven. And they're telling you that they're not saved, that they're unsaved. So you've diagnosed that. So that is a good question. After you ask the question, listen to what they say, and then you'll know how to proceed. Now, after you ask that question, there's the all-important permission question. What you're trying to get from this other person is permission to share the gospel with them. You know, really like right now in the sermon time, you know what you guys give me? Like this morning, you're giving me permission to talk to you about God. You're giving me permission. That the, the, there's 30 minutes in this service, or, or if it's a really good sermon, 35 minutes in this service, built in for whether it's me or my dad or whoever it is, to talk to you about God. Now, if I came up here right in the middle of the opening song, Chris is getting us all singing, and I said, okay, Chris, shut that, shut that band down. I want, I want to preach my sermon right now. See, it's the wrong time. It's not the right time for that. Chris would say, what are you doing? You people would say, what are you doing? We like this song. So you, it, it would, but now you give me permission. So we're trying to get permission. Here's what you want to say. Would you mind if I took about five minutes and shared with you how God can change your life? See, like the way I do it, I would say, you know, I, I used to not have, God's given me such peace. I never had it. Now I have it and I'm so thankful. And they say, oh, I wish I had that peace. And then I can just say, well, if you've got just a minute, I can share with you how you can have that. Easy, just easy, natural, easy as pie. Well, but if you, however you get into that, you're trying to get that permission. Once they give you permission, like right now during the sermon, I'm not standing up here thinking, I wonder if these people mind me preaching to them. No, you don't mind. That, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. You've, you're giving me permission. Well, you're trying to get that same permission from the people, the person that you're talking with. Now, on your way out today, we have some different materials that I encourage you to pick up. One, we have from the Billy Graham Association in North Carolina, Steps to Peace with God, these two little booklets. The red booklet, they've just come out with this. My parents were at the Cove in North Carolina a few weeks ago, and they ordered this, and at that time, the Cove didn't even have it. And what this is, it has an English explanation of how to be saved. And if you flip it over and read it the other way, it has a Spanish explanation 
of how to be saved. So this is a tremendous book, and this one is just in English here. But grab a handful of those going out. And then several years ago, we wrote a little booklet called How to Lead a Child to Christ. And this booklet just tells what I'm about to get into, how you can share with a child how to be saved. You can say it with an adult. It's just that the illustrations for a child might be a little more differently. But what I'll say to a person, after they, I say, would you mind if I take just a minute and share with you how you can, how you can be saved and have your sins forgiven and have peace with God? If they say, man, I, that's great, that's fine. I'll say, here's what I say. Well, in order to be a Christian, there are three things you have to know in your head and then something has to happen in your heart. Three things you have to know in your head and then something has to happen in your heart. Now, let's just look at what these three things are. I'm going to just scoot through this really fast. But the first thing you have to know to be a Christian is that God loves you. God loves you. When you do good, God loves you. When you do bad, God loves you. God loves you. He never stops loving you. And if I'm talking to a child, I'll say to that child, I'll tell you something else. Not only does God love you, but God has a plan for your life. And I'll ask that child, do you ever think about what you might want to do when you grow up? And that child normally say, yes, I do. I want to be a teacher. I want to be a vet. Uh, I, I want to play football. I want to play Major League Baseball. If you're talking to a little boy. I talked to a girl one time and I asked her, I said, do you ever think about what you might want to do when you grow up? She said, yes, I think about it all the time. I said, what do you want to do? She said, I've narrowed it down to two things. She said, I either want to be a missionary or a rock star. And I'm just not sure which way to play it. <laughs> I said, well, you might be a, a, a singing evangelist, a singing missionary. But I say to that child, God has a plan for your life, but the most important part of God's plan is that at the right time, you become a Christian. That's number one. Number two thing we have to understand is that everybody sins. I have sinned. You have sinned. Again, if I'm talking to a child, I'll say to that little girl, now, do you know what a sin is? Yes, I do. Well, what is it? Tell me, give me a definition of a sin. Well, a sin's when we mess up. A sin's when we do something wrong. I say, that's exactly right. A sin is anything we do that makes God unhappy. And I'll ask that child, have you ever sinned? And they normally, when I talk to children, their parents are there, but that, that kid will always look to their parents kind of like they're going to get in trouble if they start confessing their sins. I say, you're not going to get in trouble today. Have you ever sinned? Yes, I have. What are some things you've done wrong? Well, I told a lie. I got in a fight with my sister, but it was her fault. They'll always say it was her fault to try to get themselves out of trouble. I said, have you ever disobeyed your parents? Yes. Have you ever lost your temper? Yes. Does that make God happy or unhappy? Makes God unhappy. So you sin. So I'll take, take a pen. When I'm doing it with a child, I'll write it out. That's why this book is so good, How to Lead a Child to Christ. It's all in there. I'll draw a picture of a heart, and I put dirty marks in that heart, and I say, this is what happens when we sin. You tell a lie. You disobey your parents. You lose your temper. You say a bad word. We get a dirty mark in our heart. Now, the problem is if we die... With all those dirty marks in our heart, we can't go to heaven and be with God. Heaven's a perfect place. It's a clean place. In order to go to heaven, we have to get our sins forgiven. And so we have to understand that everybody sins. The next thing we have to understand is that our sins must be paid for. Just like if your parents get a speeding ticket. They've broken the law. They have to pay. It's the same with God. We've all broken God's law. And we all have to pay. The bad news is the payment for our sins is death. 
That speeding ticket may cost your parents two or $300. But with God, we've broken his laws and the payment is death. That's bad news, I say to that child. I don't want to have to die to pay for my sins. Do you? No, I don't want to have to die. But the good news is we don't have to die. Jesus died on that cross. He paid our speeding ticket. He shed his blood. He died. He was buried. He rose again. But it is his blood that washes our sins away. I say to a child, if you, that shirt you're wearing right now, if you get that shirt dirty, you tell me, is your mother going to throw that shirt away or is she going to put it in the washing machine? She's going to put it in the washing machine. She's going to turn the water on, put some soap in there. The dirty shirt will be clean. I said, that's what the blood of Jesus does to our heart. It makes our dirty hearts clean. So I'm just going right along with him. Okay, you know God loves you, yes. You know you've sinned, yes. You know Jesus died on that cross to pay for your sins. Only his blood can wash your sins away. Yes, yes, yes. I said, now remember at the beginning? I said, in order to be a Christian, there are three things you have to know in your head, but we don't become a Christian in our head. Jesus doesn't come to live in our head. Jesus comes to live in our heart. And in order to be a Christian, something has to happen in our heart. And God places a desire in our heart to have our sins forgiven, to have Jesus come live in our heart. He just puts a feeling in our heart that we want to do that. And I'll say to that child, have you had that feeling? Yes, I have. I'm having it right now. And so here's what we have to do. In order to be saved, we have to, re- we have to receive Jesus personally by repenting of our sins Asking him to save us. I explain repent means ask God to forgive you and you turn. You quit lying. You quit fighting your sister. You quit losing your temper. You're not going to be perfect, but you turn away from that. You say, I don't want to keep doing that anymore. I want to repent. This is a military word. I want to do an about face. And I want to go in another direction. Billy Graham always said, God has to help us repent. Because by ourselves, we can't change. We need God's help on that. But that's what repentance is. Not just, yeah, God, forgive me for cussing, and now I'm going to keep on cussing. That's not repentance. Repentance is, God, forgive me for cussing and help me not to cuss anymore. That's turning and going in a different direction. So in order to be saved, we have to do that. Now, after we say that, remember and I said a few weeks ago in the sermon, after we share the gospel, see, that's the gospel. Most of you already knew that before you came, but you're just getting it compressed today. You have to draw the net. You have to give that person an opportunity to make a decision and to respond. And here's some questions you can ask as you draw the net. First of all, you just say, now, does that make sense to you? Well, yeah. I mean, folks, if you explain what I just explained, that makes sense to anybody. But just ask them. Does that make, they may have a lingering question. They may say, well, I'm Catholic. Well, I understand that. I'm Baptist, but it doesn't make any difference. Uh, about that. Catholics and Baptists, we all get saved the same way. Nobody's saved because they're a Catholic and nobody's saved because they're a Baptist or a Lutheran. We're saved by repenting of our sins and asking Christ to save us. So here, if, you know, does that make sense to you? They may want to go off on some other tangent. Just listen to them. If you know the answer, give it to them, but try to bring them back. This is not about denominational loyalty. This is about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so bring them back to that. Does that make sense to you? And then you could say this, Well, let me ask you a question. Would you like to do that now? Let me see how easy that is. Would you like to do that now? Now, if I'm talking to a child, just because I never want to force a child into making a decision, I'll normally give that child an out. And I'll say to that child, now, would you like to pray now and ask Jesus to come into your heart? Or would you like to think about that and talk to your parents about it? Maybe do it later. 
I can't explain it. Maybe some of you who are educators would know the answer to this, but I've noticed this. If you give a child a multiple choice question, they always choose the second option. You ask a child, you want to go to Burger King or McDonald's? McDonald's. Why? Because it's the second option you gave them. Or either they really like what they like, they like the fries at McDonald's or whatever. But if you ask it so, if I say that child, would you like to be saved now or do you want to think about it? I've given them an easy out. And if they say, I want to think about that, well, they can go home to talk to their parents and think about it. But if after giving that kid that out, they come back and say, no, I want to do that right now. Well, I know it, they're ready. Now, I don't normally give the adult an out. I just say to the adult, would you, would you like to do that now? I know we're here in the gym or at school. I know we're not in a church, but you don't have to be in a church to be saved. You can be saved right here. Would you like to do that now? And, uh, well, yeah, I would. You can say, I'll help you with that. And then look at the next bullet there in your outline. Just lead them in the sinner's prayer. Lead them in the sinner's prayer. There are no magic words you have to pray. Now, let me say one thing about the sinner's prayer. And I bring this out today because just like I try to read and stay current with what's happening in the world of theology and I know many of you are the same way. There's a movement out now by some. And some of the people who are leading the movement, I actually like these ministers. I just flat disagree with them on this point. They say, they say we don't believe in the sinner's prayer. We don't do the sinner's prayer at our church. And the reason is these pastors have looked at what I would call sloppy evangelism where they never explained sin, they never explained repentance, all they did was lead them in a prayer, and the person didn't even know what they were doing. And so these, these other pastors over here say, that's sloppy evangelism. Now these people pray to prayer, but they didn't even know what they were doing, they didn't understand sin, and now they're just trusting in a prayer. And so what has, the, what has happened? The pendulum has swung the other way, and we've thrown, they, I haven't, they've thrown the baby out with the bathwater, and and what they've said, well, just because some people are sloppy and they don't explain all this, we don't even do the prayer at all. Friend, listen to me. When a person says that about the sinner's prayer, as far as I'm concerned, they have ridden right off the pages of Scripture. The Bible says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you believe that? Say amen. Here's my question to those pastors. How do you call on the name of the Lord without calling on the name of the Lord? And if a sinner calls on the name of the Lord, asking for forgiveness and salvation, why can't we call that the sinner's prayer? I get the concerns they have. The concern is we don't want them to trust a prayer. I don't want to trust a prayer either. We want to use the prayer to ask for forgiveness and salvation. And at the end of the prayer, this is why we always say, Lord, I have asked you to save me. I trust you. I don't trust the prayer. I trust you. I trust you to save me. And they say, well, the prayer, people think they have to say certain words. You don't have to say certain words. In, in Luke chapter 18, Jesus told a story about a tax collector, a dishonest tax collector at the temple, so convicted about his sin that he couldn't even look up to God in the heavens. He bowed his head, he beat his chest, and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's a sinner's prayer. The thief on the cross, dying. And the other thief was saying, hey, Jesus, if you're the son of God, get us down from here and save yourself too. And the other thief looked over and said, why are you talking to Jesus like that? He's done nothing wrong, but we have sinned. He acknowledged his sin. Now, he didn't actually acknowledge his sin in the prayer, but in his heart, he acknowledged his sin. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He was a sinner, and that was his prayer. 
And so in, in order for a person to call on the name of the Lord, they have to call on the name of the Lord. And you can just lead that person wherever you are to pray that prayer. You can, uh, if you, it, just depending on who the person is, what the situation is, uh, if you want to take their hand and pray, if it's, you know, different situation, you might not even need to do that. It just depends a lot of things on that, what's appropriate. But the point is, you say, John, I wouldn't know what to say in that leading him in the prayer. Let me tell you something. It doesn't matter what you say. Now, that's where I agree with these guys. It's not any certain words. You could just say, Jesus, save me. I mean, if you've explained sin and everything else, and they've, they, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, come live in my heart. You could just about say anything you want to say. It's not the words. It's the heart. And if you've walked walk through the gospel like this, and they call out to God, all who call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Now, you still listen? Say amen. amen. Let me ask you a question as we come to the end today. First of all, does what I've said today make sense, yes or no? Second, do you think that you could take what I did, shorten it down a little bit, improve on it a little bit, make it your own, but do you think what I have shared today is simple enough that you could share that with another person? If so, say amen. amen. So what are we looking for? The right time, the right tone, the right transition where you can, I, I would encourage you, just open your heart and in about 10 or 15 seconds tell how Jesus changed your life. And if they say, man, that's what I need in my life, you just share the gospel. Ask them if it makes sense. Ask them when they like to pray and be saved. And if they say yes, you just let that person in that gym, that person at that lunchroom, that person where you work, you just remember that's your congregation. For that moment in time, that is your congregation, and you can just help them to pray and receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. Amen? With our heads bowed and eyes closed today, would you ask God this week to give you a time where you would just know that this is the time? You've got 10 or 15 minutes to have this conversation. It wouldn't even take that long. But you have a window of time. That's what you ask for. God, that person I thought about when I raised my hand earlier and said, I want to share the gospel with them, ask God for a time. And you watch God. See, listen, God wants that person saved more than you do. God will give you that time. Sometimes we have to work with God and try to set that time up, maybe by inviting them for coffee or inviting them to the house or, or calling them on the phone, whatever would be appropriate. We have to work maybe to try to create that time. But now I feel like we all know what it is that we would need to actually say. Can you imagine what would happen in this community if we all just took what I have said today, go from here and start putting that into practice? It would be a, it, this is what happened in the book of Acts when, the, when there was just multiple, the growth was not additions, but it was multiplication. Because everybody was going in all their different directions, but they were all sharing the same message. God loves you. We've all sinned. That's why Jesus died. And if we repent of our sins and trust Christ, he will save us. They all said that. They went all over the world. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Asia, India, all over Europe, all over everywhere. And they just began to multiply. God, I pray that that multiplication would happen here. Not just addition, but multiplication. 
Now, today, with your head bowed and eyes closed, it may be today that you say, you know, John, I've heard this. This is very interesting. I believe everything you've said. But my greatest need is not to share that with somebody else. My greatest need is to experience the gospel for myself. I need Jesus. I need forgiveness. I know you're telling us how to tell others how to be saved, but while you've been doing that, the Holy Spirit has been here on my pew. And the Holy Spirit has been saying to me this whole sermon, that's what you need to do. You've never done that. You need that peace. You need that assurance. You need that forgiveness. There's no doubt in my mind, as was true in the first service, there's no doubt in my mind there are people in this room right now who need to be saved. And today you've heard the gospel. You've heard it from a slightly different angle, but you've still heard the gospel. And today, if you say, John, I don't have that peace, but I would like it, pray this prayer right now. I'm going to lead you in the sinner's prayer. You can just pray this to God. Say, dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me. Come into my heart and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me. Now, listen to this next part. And I trust you to do it. I don't trust me, I trust you with all my heart. Welcome to my heart, Lord. Begin now to make me the person that you want me to be.